Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, Unwritten Rule fans, you can catch us every Monday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at Believe Unwritten and enjoy the show. Attention, everybody stop what you're doing. It's time for The Unwritten Rule, a Mizzou sports podcast brought to you by the Believe Network, alongside Peyton Haverman and Kenny Van Doren. Here is your host, Jack Knowlton. Welcome back to The Unwritten Rule. Today is Saturday, November 4th. And as you can tell by my perhaps somewhat dejected tone, Mizzou football obviously lost out, uh, could not knock off the Georgia Bulldogs. In Athens, Georgia, uh, we the game just finished, uh, and so we're hopping on to record and do a little recap uh, for everyone here. So we'll dive into it, but first and foremost, the unwritten rule. Um, quick bet online ads, unwritten rules presented by Bet Online. The last of the major pro sports leagues kicks off this week, and Bet Online is your top spot for all your NBA action this season. Um, obviously, MLB postseason in the books. We had NFL, college football, and NHL. It's all in full swing. Uh, Bet online is your number one source for all your wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. Get everything NBA at your fingertips with both the desktop and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to Bet Online today to get in on the action, and don't forget to use our promo code Believe B L E A V Believe to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts, and with that, Georgia thirty, Mizzou twenty-one. Like I said, we're hopping on game. Literally just finished. Um, we're recapping here, uh, Kenny and Peyton, quick, uh, quick first impressions, uh, with the Tigers second loss of the year, not able to get it done. We'll dive into the points. Yeah, this will not be a 2013 level season. They will not be going to the SEC title game. Uh, says a lot. I'd say that they were able to hang with, this is the number one team in the country. I don't give a damn what the CFP has them ranked. Uh, blow for blow uh and kirby smart had the post-game interview he started it with genuine respect for mizzou so you can take that away but ultimately hard to not feel very bitter about the way that the last nine minutes went yeah let these dogs run away real quick but um it we we all kind of thought it was gonna two score game and that's what it came down to at the end you know you're losing by nine points and not gonna get it done with the touchdown and the two-point conversion there at the end after the what looked like an arm punt, the interception to seal it. I did like um, right at the end of the game when, when you see the two visored men uh, go meeting up <laughs> at the 50-yard line, taking the visors off and just saying – it looked like you said, like, you know, this was like a chess match. It was going head-to-head. It looked like Mizzou was one of those top SEC dogs for the last couple of years, getting its opportunity to go up against the best team in the SEC the last two years. And that was a nice embrace uh, between the two head coaches. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, yeah, it came down, it boiled down to, I think the prediction we all thought, um, you know, it was, it, it's a, it's a nine point loss. They covered. So, you know, good teams win great teams cover. Let's not forget that. But yeah, ultimately I, I think Peyton, you know, fans rightfully so deserve to be bitter. Cause just like with the LSU game, I mean, they went blow for blow with them for uh, blow with them for most of the game. And, um, you know, just, just came up short on the road. Obviously it's no, you know, you can think all you want about how much of a statement win this would have been, but uh, nonetheless, couldn't get it done. Let's dive into some of the specifics here, boys, um, and let's let's start with the good. Uh, 
for Mizzou. The Georgia O-line, very, very strong as its, you know, its whole team were. And we had three sacks today for the Mizzou defense. Um, what were your thoughts on on their kind of front and, and getting to the quarterback a little bit? Yeah, Darius Robinson, maybe outside of Luther Burden, might be the best player on this team. I mean, he's an absolute monster. I don't think there's any doubt he'll be playing a long time on Sundays. Um, Mizzou did a very good job against that O-line. Uh, Niles Gaddy had a sack there on a really nice adjustment while he was a one-on-one. Um, very good, very good early early showing for Mizzou's defense, um, and it did rattle back. I mean, especially late in that first half, he, his clock was ticking faster than it needed to be. He was a bit errant on a few throws, but kind of went away. Georgia, I mean, again, you play number one Georgia, you just have to tip away, tip your hat sometimes because that's just how good they are. They adjusted well in the second half, kind of mitigated that. Coming into today, uh, Georgia's offensive line only allowed six sacks this season. We talked about there are some, you know, some pluses on the offensive line. But when Corey from Believe in Dogs was on with us to preview the game on Friday, he talked about how, you know, there are some weaknesses um, at the guard position, at the center position. Really got past him. Another one you want to I want to highlight here is uh, Tyron Hopper, who uh, got a disconcerting signal penalty. Next play gets the sack. And that's great to see from him. Who's had an up and down season on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was really impressed. I mean, um, you know, it's the, some of the stars showed out in, in moments on this defense. Peyton mentioned D Rob, you know, in particular is, is uh, that was, that was great to see um, no doubt. And then, you know, I guess, I guess on the flip side of that, then, you know, Obviously, Georgia still won the game despite Mizzou getting to the quarterback. And it was it, it kind of felt like I mean, it it seemed the tone for me was set on that first drive when they when they went for it on fourth down, they got it. Then they were able to get points out of the drive. Ultimately, good, I think, still for Mizzou to only hold them for three. Um, but some of those key downs as uh, you know, they put it in in Faroe, um, didn't go at nearly as well and allowed Georgia to kind of keep drives going. What was your take on that, especially with the running game? That was the big edge for Georgia coming into the game. They're excellent on third downs on both sides of the ball. Missouri is not good on third downs on both sides of the ball. Uh, Missouri's been better the last few games on on those key downs. But that was where the game was ultimately won and lost. The the play, I think, really flipped everything on its head was Georgia's first offensive drive of the second half. Uh, Drayden Norwood, people can – I'm sure we'll touch on officiating. Down the stretch, it did start to bother me, but the Drayden Norwood P.I. is absolutely P.I. He had a handful of his jersey. He could, he did not let Ra-Ra Thomas out of his break. It's textbook P.I. Um, and that absolutely flipped the game on its head. Instead of having a fourth and long that Georgia, I don't exactly remember where they were on the field, um, it would have either been a punt or a field goal. Mizzou would not have been trailing after that drive. Instead, Georgia gets new life. They score a few plays later. They score the next drive. That one, I think Drinkwitz also said as much. Uh, I believe it was Wendell Shepard that tweeted um, that the game turned on that defensive pass interference. It, it It's hard. To, it, it, so many plays went into this loss, but that is one that really sticks out to me. Blake Baker always talked about limiting those explosive plays as well. And you go down and you look at what Carson Beck can do. He uses like everybody on the field. It's not like one guy is the, the number one option. 
Um, you know, McConkey was the, the name you heard a lot because he had seven, he had eight targets, seven receptions for 95 yards, just a lot of like long plays, a, a 22 yard rush, 15 yard rush, 33 yard pass, 26 yard pass, 23, 23. It's, it's just these big plays that they just weren't limiting. And it, just right when you get that stop, when you get that, you know, maybe one of the sack in the backfield, Georgia just responded. And in the second half, they took the momentum and ran with it from those plays. And that's what really just uh, compounded in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah, definitely. And like it was the the frustrating thing for me was a lot of them just came on these little like dink and dunk screens or like, you know, the runs too. And and they just couldn't tackle or, or you know, had some miscues there. And I totally agree with Peyton, um, you know, that disconcerting signals. And then later on the um, the PI was was what flipped the game for me. And I, I felt that Mizzou was probably going to be unable to climb out of of the hole at that point. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely something to key in on. And and it's just, you know, it's kind of small things. And I think against another team, you maybe get away with it, but it's Georgia and, and everything's got to be got to be, you know, um, locked, locked down. Otherwise, you know, you're going to lose. That's why they've beaten so many teams um, going back to some of the good Let's flip to the offensive side of the ball um, briefly. We have good and bad here because we're going to talk about the offensive line um, and some miscues in their part. But let's talk about the good, which was Mizzou using their legs. Uh, you know, Brady Cook, I, I think running the ball especially, you know, had some moments. And then Cody Schrader, 22 carries, 112 yards, and a TD in this game. Um, they, you know, were all over the um, the Cody Schrader uh, story, walk-on story, which I think has been, you know, driving Mizzou fans, going to drive Mizzou fans crazy now. But um, what were your thoughts about the uh, the Tigers on the ground today? This is other we talked a lot about in the preview is Brady Cook getting his legs going. Uh, the offense asks for first downs from the quarterback with his legs. He looks completely back, uh, has that sleeve on the right knee, but uh, we know that he was banged up for a couple games there and he was extending plays. And that's the Brady Cook that we saw a lot last year um, whenever he's, you know, he couldn't really get the ball downfield. He wasn't as accurate throwing. We know he had the shoulder issue. He really used his legs and it looks like he was getting back into that. And Cody Schrader, as you know, the broadcast said a couple of times, it's just nails. Uh, the guy just, he might not be the fastest one out there, but he can get out on the edge and um, kind of make plays happen and run through people. And we, we saw it on that touchdown um, at the pylon. He, he just ran through two Georgia defenders and, that's what really just stands about stands out about Cody Schrader is he's working a lot harder than other guys because he doesn't have all the talent in the world and it really just kind of shows that he can do it um, in the in the receiving game as well. Yeah, uh, Cody Schrader is a player um, where it feels like every time the momentum is maybe flipped um, in the other team's direction, he can make a big play for you. Um, I remember the LSU game when LSU kind of took control in the second half. He had that massive run. Uh, to start a drive, and then he scored like a couple plays later. Uh, he's just someone that makes big plays uh, when the team kind of needs one. Um, and on this one, I mean, they kind of rode him on that that last touchdown drive that they had, uh, and he had that 12-yard rushing touchdown that put Mizzou, gave Mizzou a chance in the end. Um, it didn't wind up mattering, but uh, the ground game was better. Uh, Brady Cook looked a lot better when he was able to use his legs. They... Georgia sold out to stop him from being able to kill them with his legs um, in the second half, and Brady Cook suffered for it. I like to think that Cody Schroeder is becoming that safety blanket 
for Mizzou. Uh, years past, it was Barrett Bannister. We know about that on third downs. And uh, the Mizzou offense even called Barrett Bannister the safety blanket. But with Cody Schrader, it's just like if you if you need someone, you're going to check it down to him. You can hand it off if you need something to go on the offensive side of the ball. And it, like I mentioned a little bit in the passing game, he did have three receptions for 14 yards. The thing that really stood out to me was those 11 yards after catch. Um, he finds a little bit of open space and he can work with it. And we mentioned not the fastest guy, but he can push through a lot, a lot of those defenders. Yeah. He was making some just nice plays to, especially early on, like keeping plays alive. Like you get the ball behind the line of scrimmage and you think, you know, maybe this is going to kind of blow up in Mizzou's face and he was able to make a play. I mean, it's, it's credit to, to all the work he's done, as they said on the broadcast 17,000 times, you know, from where he came from and, and to where he is now. So he deserves a, a boatload of credit to do that and gash George's defense uh, to the extent he did. He was, he was great. Um, before fellas, I switched to the offensive line. Let's talk about Luther burden for a little bit, because once again, um, you know, Mizzou, I was very happy to see this started off the game. Weren't afraid to, to try and punch a team in the mouth on the road. Luther or uh, Brady cook rather throws a, a dime to Luther burden. It was a great catch um, on that opening Mizzou touchdown. Um, you know, but then from there, Luther Burden finished with just 53 yards on three catches and got banged up. You know, he, he did his thing where he went down. It looks really bad, gets up, you know, hobbles off and he's up and walking and then gets back out there, but was a little bit limited. Um, I kind of want to know, first of all, your thoughts on Mizzou doing that play call um, to start. And then, you know, do you think it was maybe down to the injury or was it just kind of this Georgia secondary? I know we talked a lot about it with Corey on how good you know, that secondary was for Georgia and how it can bottle guys up. Do you think it was kind of a mix of both those things with, with where Luther Burden finished today? Um, yeah, that was about as ideal a start as you could have for Mizzou. Get the ball in your best player's hands um, deep for a touchdown. Uh, but then, I mean, Georgia's number one in the nation, or uh, sorry, they're number two in the nation uh, for a reason. Um, they adjusted well, and I hate to say it, but a lot of it, I think, does come down. I don't think Brady Cook played a very good second half. Um, he got too locked in on his first read a couple times. Uh, I remember on a third and three where he tried to force a slant to Theo Weiss, he had Luther Burden open on an out route um, to the outside. Uh, it, it happens. I mean, Brady Cook is maybe turn the ball over a little too much the last few games. I believe all five of his picks have come in the last four games. Um, so he's got to kind of settle back in. I, I just, I, I thought a lot of it was just Georgia being Georgia. though. There was another play like that where he did force one in the first half, kind of if he lets it play develop, it's like a, another second or two. He has Brett Norfleet wide open in the middle of the end zone. And that, that was one that really stood out to me as well. The second half, early in the second half, though, because I remember it yes. um, pr pretty – Mizzou was out in front at the time um, or tied at the time. But it, that, those are the kind of plays that stood out to me as well. And those those ones where they unloaded early is something that Mizzou is starting to trend a little bit better with. Um, the one that really comes to mind, you know, is with Marcus Johnson and then the one against Kansas State earlier in the season. And those are the ones that can really – like Bain said, punch him in the mouth. And I think you mentioned that too, Jack, but that's where you wanted to see. And Theo Weiss had a, a big catch as well for 33 yards. Um, might have not been a catch as well. I, I, I don't, it might have been a different play if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken there. But um, it, it looked 
it, when you kind of think about the future for Luther Burden, he does have these instances where he plays really hard and he plays aggressive. And sometimes he can come up with these minor injuries for himself. Um, looking down the road, you know, we saw that Chris Abrams drain went back out on punts, something he did um, a year ago before Luther took it over. I think maybe we've talked about this. I think for the betterment of Luther is maybe moving him off of punts, just keep him mm-hmm. just healthy and keep him, keep him on his feet just for the offensive side of the ball. Cause he plays an extremely physical level um, at receiver. And I think it's just better for him to just focus on that moving forward. Yeah. I, I'm glad you touched on that, Kenny, cause that was one thing they switched up and I, I didn't know if, you know, that was maybe because of the injury and they didn't want to, you know, get him banged up anymore. It didn't seem like it was affecting him. I, I think Peyton is right on that where it was some, you know, a little bit of Cook's throwing struggles. And then Georgia, I mean, you know, you've had, and again, we're, we're, we're getting to officiating. We will, I promise. Cause there, I agree. There was some interesting calls. Um, but I think for the most part, Georgia, you have to give them a lot of credit. Their DBs, I think did a great job, um, you know, on, on Luther and the rest of those Mizzou receivers, um, okay, segueing back, I do want to touch on the offensive line because, you know, Georgia, Georgia's Georgia. Um, they were doing their defensive shift thing um, that was drawing some false starts. And then toward the end, we had, you know, on Mizzou's final drive, two Connor Tolleson early snaps. I think he had three in the game total. Um, and we had two of them on that drive. Somehow they still resulted in Brady Cook making a play. Um, so it, it didn't become totally costly, but. Guys, your thoughts on the on the O line overall here today? Because I thought there were some pretty glaring mistakes. Largely, I thought it was great, actually. Um, okay. Connor Tollison was not very good snapping the ball today. I think he had three or four bad, badly timed snaps. He just can't play center, man. It's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, he's but once he gets the ball out, he's a he's a great blocker. There's no denying that. If he could maybe just kick out to guard or something, I think that would maybe benefit him a lot. Uh, it can't happen this year, obviously. Mizzou doesn't have another option at center, but maybe down the line. Uh, but overall, I mean, against Georgia last year, the whole line was a disaster. Um, for, I mean, outside of one or two runs. Two runs last year, Mizzou had no room to run. Today, they were moving people off the ball. Uh, Cody Schrader had a lot of good lanes to work with. Um, Brady Cook got sacked three times. I believe the last one was absolutely his fault, not the O-lines. But overall, I thought the O-line held up largely. I, I, it was three sacks, and I like uh, I like your thoughts on that, Peyton, because when you do think about it, it's, you know, everyone's going to kind of blame the offensive line. And with the two false starts um, and then the one, the third false start coming against multiple um, of those guys. It, what I, you know, listen to on the broadcast a lot is the, like the sound and the environment that Georgia brings. And I don't always like that as an excuse or a reason why these things are happening. These are SEC linemen. They, they've played in it for two years, multiple years. Xavier Delgado is a grad, you know, graduate. Um, Javon Foster has been around four seasons. I don't like that as an excuse. And it was talked about at length last year um, in those press conferences. Connor Tolleson asked about nonverbal communication, you know, being able to communicate with these guys when it's too loud. And that was against Kansas State, which pretty big Big 12 environment, but it's not the SEC. And I, you'd think like SEC environment's a little bit tougher. But at the same time, I don't think that should always be an excuse. Um, certainly, there were some faults against Connor Tolleson and parts of the offensive line. Uh it's just something you probably have to go in there and look at, but you look at the rest of the schedule. You're not playing at Tennessee. You're not playing at Florida this year. Um, you have an opportunity to just get this offensive line back on track in that category. 
Yeah, I think it's just like a, you know, it's a situation where I think Peyton, you make a good point. You know, it's it's again, it's Georgia. So the the mistakes are going to look that much bigger, even even if overall they played a decent game. And um, yeah, Kenny, are you I I'm curious also with this defensive shift. I think you put in our uh, on like our our doc, like if it's disconcerting signals. I mean, I have no idea how that works. Is that like did you were you thinking that like could be something that's called? I know they, they mentioned on the broadcast that some coaches were complaining about it. But that to me kind of feels like a tush push thing where it's like you just need to figure out how to, you know, not be fooled by it. It was more that they were mentioning that it was more like a respect to the game. And that's yeah. why coaches don't like it. They was like, why are you doing this? This is not how it should be played. Disconcerting signals is more of the, you know, the clapping. We did mention Tyron Hopper had one. He was, he was trying to get the snap count and clapped. Um, but Georgia does it a lot. And I didn't even know that until this game. We didn't even talk about it in the preview. Um, but it seems like something that they've really taken full advantage of. And it's been working a lot in their favor. And they go crazy when they get it. Because it must be a t- great feeling not even to do anything. You're just moving to shift that offensive line. And those defensive line shifts are tough. And I honestly wonder if down the road, um, NCAA will, will take a look at that and maybe change it. But right now, Georgia's taking full advantage of it. I thought I maybe saw Mizzou do it once. I did, did see that in the they fourth did. quarter. Yeah. 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 The ti- Tigers, Tigers tried it on themselves. I'll say this. It really – I know the O-line got called for a couple penalties. I don't recall any of them really breaking a drive, though. I don't yeah. think any of them really – that was the thing the O-line was doing constantly last year, and even sometimes this year, the one Connor Tolleson snap infraction against LSU is a classic example. Uh, but today, I mean, I know Delgado got fooled by that chip once. After that, I don't think they fell for it. And in fact, there was one big Schrader run, I remember. I think it was for eight yards before Mizzou kicked the field goal um, to open the second half, where Georgia was mid-shift, and they were really Mizzou was really savvy about that count whether they meant to or not getting the snap off during that and kind of having Georgia flat footed so I don't really think the shift played a big role in the game uh I thought Mizzou once Delgado fell for it once they were very prepared for it otherwise yeah looking um, at those false starts too going back at them at the time of when they had him you mentioned Peyton they didn't really change anything on the drive and two of them were in Mizzou's territory uh Javon Foster's went from the 32 yard line to the 27 um but they all came on first downs is maybe something to know but Xavier Delgado's was from the 20 to the 15 on Mizzou's side of the ball uh the only one that was pushed them out of the outside the red zone was when uh multiple players had the false start on the Georgia 18 yeah they had a the ref had an everyone but the center opportunity but he didn't say it I was disappointed if you're going to point to any of those penalties derailing a drive it would probably be that one but I'd counter with that drive still should have been six and Brady missed um Norfleet wide open in the end zone yeah yeah good points um let's uh I I do want to shift to to Georgia briefly or at least the guy I know uh Missouri fans want to talk about Dominic Lovett, we'll tell you, we could, I, you guys want to touch on uh, his game briefly, had the touchdown, um, of course, and then finished the day, four catches, 33 yards, and of course that touchdown, um, which I think was about six yards. He's targeted seven times, but a decent day out for uh, for the former, former Missouri guy scoring on his former team. He was invisible outside of one play. That is my analysis on him. Fair enough. <laughs> my, my only <laughs> takeaway – um, I'm not mad at Dominic Love. I understand if people are. Uh, he's a gunner on punts, which is very confusing to me. And his role with the Tigers, of course, is going to be a little more prominent. 
um, compared to what Georgia's caliber is. But on one of the the punt returns for Luther Burden, calls a fair catch, and then you see number six, Love It, come up, and they get a little help, helmet tap, hit each other on the head, just saying what's up. And that part just got me. I was like, man, you know, he's he is a, has a gunner spot, which is crazy to see because he was a returner um, with mm-hmm. the Tigers, and it feels like he's a little bit, you know, lower on the totem pole at the moment. And that that caught me off guard to see that. Yeah, yeah, it was the, that that was a that was a little bit strange to see a little bit of a different role for the guy. I guess that shows, you know, when you go to Georgia, it's a it's a lot. You got to compete for a lot more. But he did score, um, so I you know felt like we had to um, bring that up. Um, Kenny, let's talk about, I'll get your thoughts first on this with the, uh, the wheeze play where it was a catch, no catch bobble. And then I think if you, if in your notes, right, like the, that drive ended up with Luke Bauer punting inside the 50, which I thought seemed a little passive from Drinkwitz. Yeah. Um, it did not look like a catch to me. Um, they went into review, came back and said, Theo, Made the catch, looked like he bobbled a little bit, got got the foot in, but as he was going to the ground, um, didn't look like he had it 100%. Makes the catch. Um, I'm not a, against the the punt inside the 50. I can understand if maybe just going for it at that point. It was a good punt from Luke Bauer. Uh, very up and down season, still trying to you know find that punter who's can be a game changer in that sense. If it was the game changer with the touchdown against Kentucky, um, got it inside the 10, right at the 10 yard line. Pretty good punt there. I don't think it was really like end all be all kind of play. It just was interesting to me that that was one that maybe a little bit of head scratcher for some people. I don't think it was much of a debate once Schrader was dropped for no gain. It was fourth and 10. You're not taking that kind of chance against Jordan on your own field. I, the thing I would go back to in that sequence is the third down play call. At the time, I was like, why are we running stretch with Cody Schrader? That's not going to work against Georgia. But it wound up being their money play for most of the game. And if it had, if that play had picked up what it had been for the rest of the game, like five, six yards, Zoo probably goes for it. I think Drink and Kirby called that play, hoping it would get a few yards so that they could go for forward on fourth. But once it got nothing, I don't think it was even a question. I didn't have any issue with how Drink really manage the game there and just to um, give some more clarity about when that was it was that punt in the second quarter it was from the Georgia 41 um, is where Luke Bauer got it and um, ended up being um, a punt on Georgia's end as well yeah so it, it, it that's a that's a fair point if the you know people maybe were thinking take the risk there or what Cody Schrader was thinking I think you guys added some good points I think you know Maybe you let Mr. Uh, Mizzou all-time leading scorer try it. I don't know. But that was another point in this little positive, at least on special teams for Mizzou. Harrison Mevis with 363 points is now Mizzou's all-time uh, leading scorer. He was he was good on field goals today. I don't know if you guys have any, like, just a quick thought on that. But had to make that, had to note that the thicker kicker is now, uh, is now your number one uh, scorer for the Tigers. Yeah, I wish I saw him less today. My uh, thought he's settled. <laughs> Uh, two field goals there. The two field goals they kicked, I was really hoping they could have found a way to the end zone. But uh, I did not know he was that close to breaking that record. So good for him. Our good friend Callum McAndrew uh, posted this on X before the game. Game respects game. Part of the Georgia student section just went into a thicker kicker chant. It looks like a lot of the country is a little little bit fond of the thicker kicker. Have some fun with him. We know he had some struggles in the past from close up, but he can boot it 
And uh, pretty cool to see that he's up to 363 points, considering he was in college the whole time we were there. I mean, despite freshman year, except freshman year. Uh, really cool to see how far me this has come. I, I was watching this game with just some some friends of mine who are just very casual sports fans, but they saw the kickoff and were like, oh, is that the thicker kicker? <laughs> and so, you know, his name his name rings rings around the country. And so congrats to me for becoming the uh, um, all time leader there. Uh, let's let's go back and kind of zero in on when Georgia, you know, took momentum of this game. We talked about that drive, you know, where you had. Uh, the PI call, and then earlier you had the disconcerting signals with Hopper that Georgia turned into a touchdown. You know, we felt like that really turned things around. Then ensuing on the ensuing kickoff, Marquise Johnson um, bobbles it. Mizzou ends up starting that from their own one. You know, let's just let's just touch on that and maybe a couple more key notes from you guys on how this game changed and just your reactions to what happened before then we get to the officiating because that's a whole segment in of itself with that later on pi opi call it back fiasco um but just your thoughts on the momentum changing there with that johnson moment that's another sequence that kind of did feel like the game defining sequence i mean just fair catch i fair catch the ball every time you are not getting anything more than like five to ten yards almost every single time if you bring it out fair catch it just ugh, I, I hate it i hate when Anybody. It's not even just Marquise making a. It, he was a. He's a freshman playing in the biggest game of his life. It happens. Just fair catch the ball every time. That goes back to coaching. Tell your guys to fair the catch the ball every time. And one thing that really just stood out to me right after that is an explosive run from Cody Schrader to kind of give you some breathing room. You're inside that five uh, five yard line, ten yard line, like you know George is breathing down your neck and. You're trying to make a statement, trying to get back in the game. And that was the thing that Cody Schrader tried to respond, tries to keep the Tigers back in the game. But the thing that just really sticks out to me is those third quarter drives going into the fourth quarter. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, without punting, without turning it over. And Georgia just grabbed momentum and, you know, took it. And that was what we talked about a little bit in the preview, looking at last year as well in that fourth quarter. Um, It's a different Georgia team. It's not all the same guys are there on defense or offense. Uh, the same coaching staff and the same you know mentality of how you're going to turn this game around. And it's just not turning the ball over and taking possession of the game. And that third quarter was huge for Georgia. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, Peyton, um, you're going to be our Gene Sterator, our resident rules expert. So we had the Hopper PI uh, that was called a, what felt like an eternity late um, you know, we didn't even see the ref make a call. We all of a sudden just saw it was first and 10 for Georgia after he was uh, had to go into the end zone when they did that little flea flicker, you know, reverse situation. We had that call and then we had the wild Carson Beck throws it into the dirt. It's called an OPI on the field. Then they review it to make sure it's not intentional grounding, but pick up the flag. Can you just walk us through and like digest all of that and make it make sense, Peyton? <laughs> Uh, I do want to say, because yeah. I don't want people to think I'm some whiny person that hates officials. I hate blaming officiating for reasons you win or lose games. I don't think it determined this game. I really think it's the easiest and weakest excuse in the world whenever somebody says the refs lost us that game, other than a very finite amount of times where that statement is true. This 
that that sequence in the fourth quarter where my frustration with that sequence more so doesn't come with the calls themselves because I I think the hopper call was bad. I thought that ball A was not even close to catchable. B was just hand fighting between two people, but Hopper didn't even turn around, so I can I can see why they called that. But then the OPI happened, and but the frustration was they didn't even announce it. Like the mic wasn't working, or they just didn't make the announcement. It was just all of a sudden it, Georgia had a first down, and they were 15 yards closer. And the and the commentary team was even confused. They were like, "Dead ball foul," and then they were like, "Oh no, they did call the DPI." So they didn't even know what was going on. Then you have that OPI fiasco where there's a big discussion. Then they decide to review it. None of this wound up mattering. Mizzou got what they needed out of that drive. They got Georgia to just kick a field goal. But it was a weird – I wouldn't even say it was bad. It was weird officiating. Like, they Mm -hmm. just were not very clear. It was getting annoying just because I wanted to watch the game not these refs try and bungle over themselves to figure it out. But didn't cost Mizzou the game. I really hope people don't. I hate, hate the ref excuse. I think a good word to define it, and you can agree with me or not, Peyton, is just sloppy. Uh, I know it's their job and you have to get through it, but you're just like stopping momentum of the game. We've been saying momentum a lot. And I want to stop saying that word, but (laughs) you're stopping like the shit, you know, just momentum of the game. I mean, you're, you're, you're stopping everything. You're, you know, these guys are hot. They're moving quickly. You're just stopping it. And, and it was just that, that whole like scenarios are trying to figure out what they were reviewing. You know, it's kind of, you can't review the pass interference call, but you can review if the ball crossed the line of scrimmage to see if it counts as pass interference or intentional grounding. It was just a bunch of things getting thrown at you. And when the announcers don't even know, it means like, it's just kind of sloppy refereeing. You're not, not really hearing what is being reviewed, what actually happened. Yeah, I totally agree with Peyton. Again, it, like it didn't end up mattering. And you, Kenny, also maybe flow of the game. There's a there's a offer for you to swap for momentum. But yeah, like it didn't it didn't end up mattering too much. But I think it is something that in the frustration of this loss, fans will want to blame. And it's not necessarily to blame it, but it just was strange. Like it is just a weird. And you know, you're at a point where Mizzou's you know trying to come back, trying to get back into this game. You want the game to just keep going, and that that sort of prevented that. Um, but we had that. And then of course, uh, you know, before we have one more good thing we want to touch on with the receivers, but, um, we end up with Brady cook, you know, he had, they've commentators mentioned it. He had three picks in his last three games, um, and then ended up with two right at the end. Kenny mentioned the arm put earlier. And then the, the one we haven't touched on, we had a big man interception. Nazir Stackhouse took it away and rumbled all the way to the two yard line. And then it was fortunately for Mizzou. Um, negated by a, a penalty because I forget who it was, but someone just absolutely careened into Brett Norfleet and backed him up 15 yards. But I got to ask what Brady was was thinking on that play. According to Drink, after the game, the play was designed to go to the tight end, and he wasn't mm-hmm. for sure what went wrong. It looked like uh, it was just well, well covered by uh, Nazir Stackhouse. Uh, but still, if you're Brady Cook, you have to see the giant D tackle right in front of you and not throw that ball. Just swinging out to Makai Miller. Um, it, he was, Makai Miller had nobody in front of him. He would probably have gotten about six or seven yards there. Um, and that, that sealed the deal. I mean, basically, I mean, you had the ball with 
down six with nine minutes left. That was at midfield, mind you. That was the exact situation Mizzou was hoping for, um, and they didn't execute. I Brady, I, I love Brady. I think he's been so good this year. He has real. This team would not be seven and two even without him. Um, but he really struggled in that in that second half. I don't know if it's just Georgia giving him looks he hasn't seen, taking away his leg, but he just got too locked in on one target at a time and wasn't seeing the the field well. Uh, Smale Mondin is the one who got the chop block for yeah. Georgia. And like you said, Peyton, it did feel like a ceiling. There's still 12 minutes left in the game, but you kind of just think, how is this guy not going down either? I mean, you know, no disrespect to a defensive tackle, defensive lineman, but man, like no one was getting to him. And that chop block kind of, you know, saved you a little bit, um, not putting him inside the five, but that was just, that, that one sticks with you. I think that, that I think the broadcast mentioned that too. That's, that's one that Brady Cook is going to think about for a long time. Definitely, definitely. And and yeah, no, like and they said this, I'm stealing the broadcast's words, you know, that pick hurts no one worse than it hurts Brady Cook. You know what he puts, uh, you know, on the line. Kenny on his run back. I had Chris Berman in my head. He's rumbling, bumbling, stumbling. <laughs> I thought he was going to get all the way in. But, um, you know, fortunately for Mizzou, he was negated by a penalty anyway. And then, yeah, we had the arm punt. I mean, the game was about done and dusted by that point anyway. And, you know, that kind of was what it was. You got to try and make a play. Um, you mentioned swinging that the pass out to Makai Miller, Peyton. Um, you know, he had a, a he, he had some contributions, got back into the rotation. And then Mookie Cooper, I want to get your guys' take on, on those guys as well. And even too, I know we talked about his catch or no catch. Um, Theo Wees, Mizzou's leading receiver, 90 yards on five catches. I don't think we've said too much about him. Um, but let's, you know, finish things off on a strong point. Some of Mizzou's receivers, you know, I think making some okay plays uh, during this game. Yeah, uh, it's just a weird game in general for the passing attack. Theo Weiss had a great game, I thought. Um, Mookie Cooper had a couple nice grabs. Mackay Miller had that one. Overall, I just come away feeling a bit perplexed by the offense as a whole. There was no intermediate passing game whatsoever. It was, um, it was. I don't even know how to explain it. Really, it was just. Either you were throwing it 30 yards downfield or you were running the ball with Cody Schrader. It didn't feel like they tried to attack the middle of the field enough. Um, I it, The receivers were good. I, I felt like there was a lot left on the table, though. We've talked at length about Mookie Cooper and, you know, what he's kind of brought is whenever he gets the ball, he does his job. And he had that 21-yard reception. I was thinking back in my mind, I was like, this is like a Makai Miller catch. And Mookie's been around longer than Makai, of course. And then Makai Miller comes out of nowhere and makes a Makai Miller catch that he was making last year. The, the one that always stood out to me was against Florida, uh, really stepped up as a freshman with Barrett Bannister, not playing in that game. But these are two guys that also feel like safety blankets, kind of come out of nowhere, uh, make some plays for you, and get some yards after catch as well, especially when you talk about Mookie. And the one catch that Mookie didn't have out of his reach got blown up. I don't know if you guys saw that. Uh, it was I a linebacker. Maybe flag that, yeah, it was seemed like a little bit of a high hit. Mookie gets up, kind of just goes about his day, and that that's just Mookie. I mean, I I, I can't I can't say enough, and I'm not gonna keep uh, hyping him up, but the guy the guy just does his job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a nice it's a nice uh, it's a nice asset to have when you can go to him and and you can you can be really reliable. Disappointed in the lack of Brett Norfleet catching contributions. Thought he made some okay blocks, but. You know, we are a Brett Norfleet podcast. We that's our guy. We got to see him make a uh, make some to, contributions. 
Yeah, I want to. I want to point out one thing he did. He had a good push from uh, Brady Cook. He pushed Brady Cook from behind. He did. Got him over the the goal or the the uh, got him the first down there with that. Yes. And, uh, some great blocking. Um, the broadcast pointed it out as well. Uh, he's seeing a lot of snaps, seeing a lot of time on the field. And we mentioned earlere, he mentioned it twice now that he was open in the end zone. Just Brady mm-hmm. Cook went to someone else. He had a Brady Cook tush push in this game. That was great. the play. The play Mookie Cooper was blown up was the play. Brett Norfleet was yep. wide open. Yeah. Um, Peyton, uh, I'll have you. I forgot we had one more point. You uh, have uh, some thoughts on Mr. Trevez Johnson on the defense side of the wall? Yeah, I recall him being hyped out of spring camp saying he flashed a lot. He was the worst player on the defense today. I mean, he missed that real, really bad tackle on Lad McConkey that uh, on a swing pass that instead of being a loss of four, it was like a gain of 12. He got then he missed a t- I believe it was him who missed a tackle on a punt return. I'm pretty positive I saw number four. Uh, and then he got beat by Delp in the end zone for the touchdown. So not a good day for him. Um, I would really like to see some new blood out there in the secondary. I need to see more Marvin Burns somewhere. There's two guys I actually want to highlight, too, on the defense um, with some positives. We talked about Joseph Charleston kind of bouncing off some tackles this year. It doesn't really look like the same guy he was last year and he had a, he had a big um, tackle today blew up uh, one of the, the Georgia offensive players. Um, he also, uh, you know, got after a, a former Mizzou guy with a, a, a nice tackle uh, and Dominic love it, but it, overall a pretty good game for him. Um, another guy is Chuck Hicks stepping up in that starting role with um, Chad Bailey out with an injury and he had seven tackles, uh, six solo, one tackle for loss and a pass breakup. And talking about Joseph Charleston, he also had seven tackles, six solo, and then two pass breakups. So I think those two guys had pretty decent days on the defensive side of the ball. There, there were some frustrating missed tackle moments uh, for me. Not to, not to get to overly negative, but um, you know that was frustrating me. Again, it was just like you said, the swing passes and the screens. That for me, it was just couldn't come up and deliver a hit. You know, you like, like you said, it was a gain of or a loss of four into a gain of 12 on some instances. That was, that was frustrating for me, but you're right. I think overall there are some positive to take away and, and you know, my, my final note, um, you know, 30 to 21 you covered. And what this shows is like 10 and two is still very, very possible. I mean, no team you play on the schedule um, is, I don't even think nearly as good as Georgia. Tennessee is obviously a big challenge, but, you know, there is still there is still a lot of possibilities for a magical season uh, to finish out in, in Columbia. Not quite the magic that you would have had. I'm just going to try not to think about it. Maybe Mizzou fans shouldn't either about all the hypotheticals if you come away with a win here. But, it, you know, you end 10 and 2. I like if you would have told any of us that, you know, that would have been the case at the end of the year preseason, we would have called you crazy. So, you know, I think I think that uh, that's something to to hang your hat on is you you went shot for shot here with Georgia. Um, this afternoon if you guys have any final just quick takeaways they i think they can have 10 and 2 if they really want it uh i florida and arkansas need to be wins those are just bad teams that you should manhandle i don't care where the game against arkansas is you should win that game that's a team in disarray um and florida is starting to show its true colors as well but the thing is you know you got to you still have a swing game against Tennessee. Tennessee will determine, I mean, whether your season is pretty good or damn, damn good, I would say. Uh, 
I think if you beat, if you find a, we're going to find out pretty much everything we need to know about this team uh, next Saturday against Tennessee because they've talked about, they talked about after LSU when they lost, all our goals are still in front of us. That's no longer true. They no longer can win the SEC East. Um, they can still re- readjust and get a very good bowl game, even maybe New Year's Six, if you go 10-2, and two, and that is really, really good. Um, but you need to see next week, um, with Tennessee coming to town, um, you're not going to have game day or anything like that. You're not, you're not making the playoff anymore. If you can rally and come out, play inspired, get a win, I still think this is going to wind up being a damn good year for Mizzou. It's a question for the two of y'all. Um, I wasn't a fan last year. We talked about that, but does this sting a little bit more? Does it? I know last year was you coming into it, a lot of Mizzou fans say they, they weren't expecting the Tigers to keep it that close with Georgia, but even you know after kind of a downfall in the fourth quarter and maybe a little bit late in the second half. It's a little bit better than what you expected, but this year you thought about maybe there was a chance. Does this one sting a little bit more? I would say last year does not really, it doesn't really register as a sting to me anymore um, just because that team was not very good and Georgia was even better than they were this year. You can hang your head on being able to contend with them. This one stings. Yes, absolutely. I mean, Mizzou had the ball down six, nine minutes left at midfield. It really felt like they had gone blow for blow. They absolutely, it wasn't a fluke that they were in this game at all. I think they absolutely deserved it. Um, Yes, I think it's fair to be very, like, hurt about this loss, but I think it's very disingenuous as well to say well the way I'm going to look at it is Mizzou blew two games against Georgia that's what matters really that's not what it really comes down to in college football there are measuring sticks to success and I mean Kirby Smart if you had some of the quotes from him I mean he was blown away by this Mizzou team I think that matters now next week I think we'll really determine how I feel about this loss if they come out and win respond with the win I think that I will feel very good about this performance at the end of the day because last year after after um that Georgia game they went out and lost to a terrible Florida team and it didn't make me feel any better so we'll see I as of now I like it stings but I think it'll ultimately be fine um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it does. Like I mentioned, all the hypotheticals I don't want to think about. There's a reason for that. You know, you had all that in front of you. But uh, again, like Peyton said, I think I'm just going to try and look at it as a positive that the way you, you come out from this game is like, you know, you can certainly beat Tennessee with a performance, you know, similar, similar ish to this, you know, with cleaning up a couple of the mistakes. You didn't get blown out by Georgia and you didn't get exposed as like this fraudulent top 15 team that doesn't deserve to be here and is coasting on some easy games and then a a, you know very lucky win against Kansas State uh, or something like that like that's not the narrative I don't think anyone can say that I mean this team challenged Georgia and showed I think like Peyton said the building blocks I mean they they showed it in glimpses against the Bulldogs last year unfortunately they didn't show it against a lot of other teams but you know the fact that the the pieces are there for are and, and have been building they've been building you know, up. And I think, I think that performance 
overall only shows that to me. But yeah, I mean, it it sucks. It, it's it. I was I had to build up a wall in this game to really not tell myself not to get hopeful because you know I didn't want to get burned. But sometimes that happens. But I think it still can be a special year. I, I like this quote from Drinkwood. It kind of plays into what you guys are saying. Uh, you know, they come into this game, they want to win, but there's still something that if positives to always take away from this and Cody Schrader also had a great quote coming again from our friend Wendell Shepard at the Columbia, Missouri. And this one's from Drinkwitz. We came here to win, not keep it close. I'm not deterred from what we're trying to accomplish here. I think that's, you know, pretty well said about where the Tigers want to be. And they come in, they know that they can beat it. They felt that they felt the same last year when the team wasn't, you know, at, at its highest as it is right now. Another one from Cody Schrader. I don't believe in losing. I believe in learning. I think we can learn a lot from watching the tape and learn and learn where we can execute better. Um, it's, you know, some of it can be coach speech, just player speech, but it seems like, you know, that there is positives to take away, but at the end of the day, you didn't get the job done is what you wanted to do. And kind of moving forward, it kind of puts the program in better light that, you know, you compete with these dogs and you did, did it last year, same result, the loss, but uh, there is a lot to take away from it. Yeah. I mean, it's their whole motto is, is STP something to prove. There's still a lot to prove, you know, this game, this game didn't prove it or disprove any of it. Like Peyton said, there's a lot in front of you still. Yes, it's not everything it could have been if you'd won, but it's all it's all still out there, or a lot is still out there right in front of you for you to go get and get to a 10-win season, maybe to that New Year's Six Bowl. And this team seems pretty locked in on on still doing that. Um, that'll about that'll wrap it up, I think, uh, for a little recap. We'll come back on a Sunday. We'll we'll have a recap of the SEC and the rest, you know, just the the whole show um, for you guys, but you know, everyone don't sulk too hard next week's another week they covered. So, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe people made some money on that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, your final Georgia 30 Mizzou 21 um, Tigers lose and get their second or pick up their second loss season. They'll be back next week. with still a lot on the line for them against Tennessee. That'll do it for us. Uh, this has been the unwritten rule presented by bet online. Everyone have a fun and safe rest of your weekend. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.